let's pray as we start. Father God, we thank you for all that we have seen through Luke's gospel thus far. Thank you for uh, all that you have shown us of our Lord Jesus Christ. And pray that particularly this morning as we think about what it means to follow him, I pray that we would still see him so clearly. And Father, please would you uh, work in us by your grace uh, the right response. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are different ways to follow people these days, aren't there? You follow someone on Instagram, click a button, you're following them. You might be a follower of fashion. You buy Vogue and you, uh, perhaps if your budget allows, you might purchase some of your clothes to keep up with said fashion. Or you might be a follower of football. Now, of course, that can mean entirely different things. That can mean you check your phone once a week to kind of see the scores, or that could mean season tickets, traveling around Europe, tattoos, face paint, and, and the works. Our question this morning is, how do you follow Jesus? How do you follow Jesus? Could your following of Jesus be compared to how you follow a celebrity on Instagram? Now, I'll, I'll check out their page quite regularly and see what they're up to because it's quite interesting. Could, could your following of Jesus be compared to your following of fashion? You know, I'll buy a magazine and, I, and I'll read it each week. And maybe occasionally I might act upon it and buy a nice shirt or dress. Well, this morning we'll be thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. We're also going to see why it is so important, or not just why it's important to follow Jesus, why it is so wonderful to follow Jesus Two. Chapters 5 and the first half of chapter 6 of Luke focus on following Jesus. Jesus has been living out his manifesto. Do you remember his manifesto, his mission? He came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And last week we saw that in action as he's proclaiming the good news. And today we see him doing that again, but we're also focusing now on the response to him. This morning, we are going to see the first followers of Jesus. That's quite a big thing, right? The first followers of Jesus. Of the millions and millions and millions of people who have followed Jesus throughout time, as we're here, we see the first. It's a big moment. And it's got a lot to teach us about what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to start, well, we start with Jesus doing what Jesus did. He is teaching. You see him there in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We see on this occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Jesus is by the lake, that's also another term for the Sea of Galilee. And there he is. And word has obviously got around about Jesus' teaching because quite the crowd gathers. Like the kind of the most bustle that we find at churches today is usually for the scrum for the biscuits at the end, right? But here there is real hustle and bustle. People are jostling with each other, wanting to hear Jesus. They are desperate to hear the word of God from Jesus' mouth. And so Jesus kind of gets himself into rather unusual pulpits. He sees a boat, and of course, uh, this boat is owned by Simon, and of course, um, Simon knows Jesus, so it's not perhaps quite as random. Remember, Jesus has healed his mother-in-law, 
Um, and, and so Simon, Jesus says to Simon, look, can I, can I borrow your boat? Let's push out. And Simon goes. And Jesus sits down and teaches. But interestingly, the, the focus here isn't actually so much on the teaching. We're not told anything of what he's taught. The focus is on the miracle that follows this teaching and the response to his teaching and this miracle. And the first slide you'll see here, our first point this morning is being confronted by Jesus. Not a confrontation, you know, kind of hostile one, but coming face to face with who Jesus is. Because Simon, Simon Peter, realizes who Jesus is. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he, Jesus, said to Simon, put out, your, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, by this time, it's probably mid to late morning, possibly lunchtime, maybe even the afternoon. And that apparently is not the time to go fishing. Uh, I don't think even in England, actually, you often see the fishers out pretty early in the morning, don't you? But, but certainly in that, that hot sun, nighttime was the best, place, best time for fishing. And Simon would have been forgiven for thinking, like, what, what does this guy know? He's a carpenter. Like, you kind of imagine that I, I, I turned up at your work and kind of gave you some advice. Said, aha, uh-huh, here's the real magic. If you do this, then, then this is going to happen. You'd be like, what does this guy know? He's a preacher. But see, see what he says. Simon, verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, right? Real sign of respect. Master. We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Simon has good reason to trust Jesus' word. He has seen something of what Jesus has done in the past. And so at his words, Simon trusts and does. And there's a whoom. The nets go down. And the fish just swim straight in. And it is a supernaturally large catch. Did you see this? See see how it goes in verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. We see this is a supernaturally large catch. Completely the wrong time of day. The nets go in, the fish swim in, the boat's sinking, get another boat, that's fill up, that's sinking as well. This is a huge number of fish. Now these boats, they weren't our kind of modern day fishing trawlers, but neither were they, uh, were they dinghies. Uh, so uh, my, um, my in-laws actually went to Jerusalem a couple of years ago now. Uh, and this boat, you can see this boat, there's a kind of fishing boat from 2,000 years ago, right, about kind of 20 feet long. And these fish are, are threatening to drag down these two boats. But they manage, it seems, to get back to shore with them. Now, you're Simon. Now, at this moment, what are you thinking? Now, remember last week we saw the, um, was it two weeks ago? We, we saw the reaction to Jesus and thinking, I know it was last week, this is amazing. Like, we've got Jesus here who can do all these miracles. Brilliant, stay with us. And yet, not Simon. I mean, this is a fisherman's dream, right? This is the catch beyond all catches. This is a real game changer. You Simon thinking, this is brilliant. Right, we've got two boats in our partnership with this catch. Maybe get a third one in. You know, this would kind of do the refurb at the home. All these things. 
And he's thinking, you know what? Just think, that's just this one catch. If we get Jesus on board, pun intended, if we get Jesus on board, just think about what is going to happen to our business. It's going to explode. But no. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There is something in seeing this miracle that it goes click in Simon's mind. Only God has such mastery over the seas. Did you see there, he he says, O Lord, and we we looked at this before. In the first few chapters of, of Luke, the word Lord is used time and time again for God himself. It seems to be, I don't think Simon's got the whole picture. In fact, he definitely hasn't got the whole picture. We'll see him in great confusion later through the gospel. But there's something goes, wow. And throughout the Bible, when people encounter God, fear is the response that we see. Trembling, falling down before him. Why? Well, whenever greatness turns up, it highlights the inadequacies of the other people. Now, I know a number of the guys have been playing football on a Thursday night at church. If you want to join in and speak to Mark, I'm sure they'd have you. Thursday night down the park just for a, for a little kick around. But imagine this guy turns up this week. <laughs> it, we, he would very quickly reveal the inadequacies of those who are playing. No offense if you are playing. But with this miracle, Pete, Simon, Simon Peter recognizes his moral inadequacy. He recognizes that he is completely unworthy. He says, I am a sinful man. And you see, he says, I can't bear to be in your presence. Depart from me. Now we'll look at Jesus' response in a moment. But but see how he replies in, in verse 10. Do not be afraid. Now it's wonderful, isn't it, that Jesus says do not be afraid. But the fact is he had to say it. I want you to imagine, imagine you were going to meet Jesus this week. Physically, you were going to meet Jesus this week. Now, if you can't imagine even being a little bit terrified at that meeting, then your view of Jesus is much less than the Jesus we find in the Bible. If you've never had a moment when you've met Jesus in his words, when you've not been overcome by your unworthiness, then I would say you probably haven't understood who Jesus is. Again, last week we saw the danger of minimizing Jesus into the the financial consultant, the doctor, the insurance policy. Well, once again here, we're reminded not to domesticate Jesus. Don't let him become your best buddy, your life coach, your spiritual comfort blanket, or whatever it is. No. No. Here's Jesus. Here is God, authority over nature itself. And maybe this is the first time that you are being confronted by him. But see who Jesus really is. So first point, being uh, confronted by Jesus. Secondly, comforted by Jesus. Simon Peter, his response, it's classic Peter. Classic, classic Peter. He understood something, but leapt to the wrong conclusion. 
So look, he rightly saw who Jesus is. And that led him rightly to understand his unworthiness before him. But that led him to a wrong conclusion when he said, depart from me. No, he is comforted by Jesus. Verse 10, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now note that Jesus doesn't say, "Uh don't be so silly. Stop having such negative thoughts about yourself. You've got to kind of recite some positive, some positive energy get going, get going again. He doesn't even say, look, don't worry, Peter, you're not that bad. There are a lot of people worse than you. No, he says, don't be afraid. He says, look, your sins don't disqualify you from relationship with me. Now, we... We have a huge advantage, thousands of years later, having read, many of us, if you've been following the series, having read Luke chapters 1 to 4. Now, we've seen a number of times that Jesus is this saviour. These are speaking primarily of John, but Joel as the, uh, John as the preparer for Jesus, when he says, um, John, to give knowledge of salvation in his people for the forgiveness of their sins. And John, he went into the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We have seen that Jesus is salvation time and time again through these first chapters. And so when we see, yes, Simon recognizes that he is a sinful man. And when we recognize that we too are sinful before God, we're in a far better position to see that actually, no, our sin doesn't exclude us from relationship with God. Jesus has come to bring uh, liberation, release from sins. He's come to do his father's business, to bring that salvation, ultimately to come to teach the good news of the kingdom, and then at the end of his life, to die for those sins. There is forgiveness of those sins. Being sinful doesn't exclude us from relationship with God. But recognizing that we're sinful qualifies us for relationship with God. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came to die for sinners. And so when you are broken, as we should be, when you are broken by your sinfulness, don't run away from Jesus. Run towards him. And that goes if you are a Christian. I think that's a great temptation is when we, we, we've sinned again and we're very aware of it, our, our, sometimes our default reaction could be to, to run away. I'll sort myself out and then I'll come back. No, run towards Jesus. Do not be afraid, he says. So Simon is confronted by Jesus. He is comforted by Jesus. Thirdly, he is commissioned by Jesus. Jesus doesn't just say, look, don't be afraid, Simon. You're saved from your sins. Full stop. He's commissioned. So verse 10 again. Um, sorry, yeah, midway through verse 10, I should have said. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So you're no longer going to be catching fish using your nets. Now on, you're going to be catching people using the gospel. Now, that word catching um, is a, a, an interesting one that we find there. It's, it's made up of two separate words, kind of catching and then alive. Uh, Simon is to be catching alive. Do you see how that kind of imagery of fishing is, is reversed? 
right? In fishing, you're catching live fish and killing them. But now here, Simon is going to be catching dead people and making them alive to, to help them, to give them life as they come to Jesus uh, for themselves. And Simon Peter, he would do exact that. He became one of the first apostles. But this is the, one of the remarkable things, right? Jesus, we've seen, he has all authority, and we'll see it even more clearly in a second over human lives. Jesus has all authority, all power, and yet he loves to include others in his work, in his mission. So here we have Simon. We also have James and John that we've not really mentioned, but James and John are there, I think, in that other boat as well. And then in the middle of chapter 6, Jesus calls 12 to himself, himself, and then later he sends them out on mission. Now, of course, Peter had a distinct role. He was an apostle. And yet all Christians have that same job, to fish, to fish for men, women, children, and boys, to to make disciple makers, uh, as we so often put it here. We too have that same mission to to throw out the net of the gospel at home, with family, with friends, at school, at work, on, on the road. This commissioning is, is why we are joining in a passion for life, why we are joining with hundreds of other con- uh, churches across the UK and Ireland next Easter time, because we are fulfilling this mission to be fishers, catchers of men, of people. But of course, that isn't just a one-time thing. This is something we're doing all the time. So where could you throw your net out this week? Where could you throw your gospel net out this week? Maybe think of somebody, a non-Christian, who you would love to share the gospel with this week. Commit to praying for them. Pray for them every, every morning that you'd have an opportunity to do that this week. Now, it's scary trying to fish, isn't it? It's scary trying to share the gospel with others. But that also, I think, is the wonderful picture of this miracle. You see, at Jesus' word, there was a miraculous catch. And we go out, not really know, often not really know what to do, not knowing the right words, but we say God's word, say Jesus' word, we share the gospel with people, and we trust that he will do the rest. He will bring in the miraculous catch. So, Simon Peter has been confronted by Jesus. Could you skip on a couple of Benjamin to the next? Yeah, brilliant. He's been uh, confronted by Jesus. Oh, that was the right one. Yeah. Confronted by Jesus. He's been comforted by Jesus. He's commissioned by Jesus. And finally, he is committed to Jesus. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We see here Jesus' awesome authority once again. He calls Simon, and Simon responds. He summons, and Simon goes. Could you imagine that this week, right? Tomorrow morning, somebody turns up at your your place of work or at your home or whatever and says, look, you're going to leave everything behind. Come and follow me, uh, because I've got a job for you. Not on your life. No way you're getting up, are they? You're not getting up, are you, to go and follow them? 
But that's because they wouldn't have Jesus' authority. But imagine Jesus turns up and he says those same things, that get up, come and follow me, I've got a new mission for you. And feeling drawn, compelled to go with him. That's what Simon and the others experience. They've seen Jesus do these remarkable things, but as he calls them, they can't help but go. Jesus has incredible authority, even over the human lives. He's authority over nature, as we've seen in that miracle of of the fish, and and over human lives. All that Luke has been sharing for us, and we said this time and again, Luke wants us to be certain about who Jesus is and all that he has accomplished. He wants us to be certain about who Jesus is and all that he has accomplished so that we would follow him. Not that just we would know who Jesus is, but then our lives would be given over in his service and following him. His personal response is required. That's what I think is a little bit, again, interesting about this account here. Is, remember it said at the beginning, there's crowds. The crowds have all joined. They're all bustling. They're all listening. And, and our, all our focus is, is really drawn to Simon. And James and John, but, but Simon. An individual response is required. And what a response. Peter, James and John, they leave their miraculous catch. They leave their boats, their nets. They leave their friends, their family, and follow Jesus. So that's what it says in verse 11. They left everything and followed him. Uh, Can I have the next slide, please, Benjamin? Becoming a Christian has has sometimes been described as a parachute jump. You can't kind of half do a parachute jump. Okay, right? You're in or you're out. You do it or you don't. For some, uh, literally, <coughs> the call to us might be to, to leave everything. It may be that we are called to, to you might be called to, to get up, to follow Jesus, to leave everything behind, to go perhaps to another part of the world, to be sharing the gospel with them. Possibly, literally. But for all of us, it's that attitude. Would we be willing to give up everything? Now, there, I can imagine all kinds of responses that Simon might have had to this call. You're like, oh, you know what, Jesus? That sounds a bit too tough. I think I'm all right, thanks. Could have said it. I think perhaps it's like more likely and maybe venturing into what I think I might have responded as. It might have been, okay, yeah, Jesus, definitely. Can I just go and sell this miraculous catch of fish first, right? Just, we've got a whole crowd here and... I reckon we could even bump up. These are miraculous fish. None of this fish. But let's just sell this catch and then we'll be set, okay? Then we get the travel and we've got the money. Or he might have said, oh, yeah, yes, definitely, um, I would love to. Uh, I'll come follow you. But would you just mind if uh, kind of, I've got a slightly inappropriate relationship with someone, but they could come along with us? Or he might have said, uh, yes, Jesus, I'll come and follow you, but Saturdays are my own, okay? I'll be with you six days a week, no problem, but Saturdays are entirely mine and probably better don't ask what I do on it. All kinds of things Simon might have said. But no, he gets up, leaves everything and follows Jesus. Becoming a Christian is something that we can't do halfway. We can't do part-time. Got to be with no restrictions. It's not a negotiation. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you if, or yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but 
The call is to leave everything and follow him. I wonder, is there anything this morning you think, anything you wouldn't be willing to give up for Jesus? It is a huge call. It is a huge call to give up everything to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. But I want us to finish by remembering who it is that calls us to do that. I mean, just even today, all that we have seen Jesus, well, maybe last week as well, but, but all we've seen of Jesus, he is the one who has authority over uh, demons. Jesus is the one who has authority over disease. Jesus is the one who we've seen has complete authority and power to provide anything that would be needed. Jesus, who is, the, who is God himself, and yet doesn't say, depart from me, but says, follow me. Because I have dealt with your problems of sin. That is who we are called to follow. This isn't a call to do something that we really would rather not do. This is a call to do something we get to do. To follow him. Only he is worthy to be followed. What's your following of Jesus? What what could you compare it to? Celebrity on Instagram or Simon? That's our call. Let's pray. Father, thank you for again all that you've shown us here of Jesus. God himself, all authority over creation, all authority over human wills. The one who doesn't cast out but calls in and who includes us in his work. Oh, Father, please would you work in us by your spirit that we would follow him wholeheartedly and follow him joyfully. In his name and for his glory. Amen.